Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Proverbs 29 verse 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Flattery is not another word for a compliment. Flattery is false, insincere, or excessive praise used to gratify the vanity or self-esteem of a person. It's sucking up to them, exaggerating their good features, and ignoring their faults. The proverb says that flattery spreads a net for his feet. Whose feet? I believe Solomon has purposely put forth a double meaning here. Flattery has a snare both for the giver and for the receiver. It's dangerous to the giver because they are known as liars, and that's how God will judge them. And it's dangerous to the receiver for it can seduce them to do what they should not do. It puffs up pride and makes them conceited and confident in and of themselves. However, honest condemnation, commendations, excuse me, honor and praise of those with good character or conduct can be very good and very useful. Paul uses a large part of Romans 16 to praise a long list of early Christians and used wisely as a way to provoke others to love and good works. David's eulogy of Saul involves lofty praise and total avoidance of his many, worthy, or many noteworthy faults. If you ever compliment or praise others, if you never, I'm sorry, if you never compliment or praise others, the op, you fall in the opposite ditch. For it's there that there's folly as well. For there are those in each of our lives needing and deserving compliments. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Please kneel where you are to live from John 18 verse 28 to 38 and we have a lot of things in this text that we need to unlock to understand what's going on here but just to get a glimpse before we start reading it is early on Friday morning Jesus has been arrested by some uh, Roman soldiers and by some officials from the uh, uh, leaders uh, Jewish leaders and they have placed wrist, legal uh, leg arrow on him. They have taken him for Caiaphas' house, the high priest. They have mucked, struck him. Was a really uh, bad situation. Jesus was interrogated, tortured. They even blindfold Jesus and they slapped him and wife saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? You see, they were playing with Jesus. And at this point, it was a religious trial that Jesus was facing. He was 
um, he was declared guilty by claiming himself to be the son of God. But that wasn't, wasn't enough in the eyes of the Roman to justify a death penalty. So the Jewish leaders, they must take Jesus to Roman uh, um, governor, the Pontius Pilate, and where Jesus wants to be tried, and this will not be a religious trial. That's going to be a political one. So just get this in your mind. A blooded, bruised Jesus, suffering all kind of perversion of justice. And it is in the midst of this perversion of justice that we're going to approach the single most important question any human being can make, which is, what is truth? And that question, brothers and sisters, has to be understood in light of this text. I know a lot of people pick up those texts and start to speak about philosophy, reality. No, no, no. This question is in light of Jesus' work, redemptive work. Because you see, he has been questioned and um, he has been denied, sold by his disciples. And the truth, the saving truth, has been put in question here right now. So that's is the, 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 the context that I want you to stick in your mind. This is the great question ever. Many battles over this question throughout the history. And you know that battle, that battle starts in Genesis when uh, Satan himself challenged God's truth. And he said to the woman, he asked, Did you God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And then he asked his final question, like, Did God really mean that you're going to die if you eat from this tree? He was challenging the truth. He was the first one. So let's go and... Read, read John 18, verse 28 to 38. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went, out, went outside to, to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according uh, by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered in his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did the others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants, you'd have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. For my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone is of the truth, 
listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we are so blessed. By this day you set apart for us, and now by having a word before us, and have your spirit to enlighten our minds to understand it. So please help us now. May our minds be focused here in your word. Speak to us, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And here is another story. I like to tell a story. And one day two psychiatrists were at a conversation and one asked the other, what was your most difficult case? And the other replied, well, I had a patient who lived in a pure fantasy world. Really? What kind of... Well, he believed that an uncle in South Africa was going to die and to leave a fortune for him. All day long, he waits for um, a letter to arrive from an, an attorney. He never went out. He never did anything. He just sat around waiting and waiting for this fantasy letter from this fantasy uncle. So what was the result? Well, for eight years, it was a huge struggle. Every day, for eight years, but finally, I cure him. Really? Yeah. But then, that stupid letter arrived. <laughs> you see, until that letter arrived, truth itself did not exist. At least for that psychiatrist. It was a, a kind of what the world, the atheists, says about us who believe in God. It was a kind of mentally challenged individual who need to be cured. That's the way that they look at us. We need a healing in our minds. But when the truth turned up in the mailbox, that psychiatrist was still uncomfortable with it. Just as uncomfortable were the Jewish leaders when the truth stood up before them and they accused him of being a blasphemer. Just as uncomfortable was Pontius Pilate when he made a question, most important question, and the truth was before him, and he ignored it. So I hope you, brothers and sisters, may consider if it is truth that Jesus is the Son of God, you may be confident that in Jesus you have the saving truth. And we're going to see John showing this saving truth in three points you have in your bulletins. Um, the saving truth of Jesus rely on him being the true Passover, the true Redeemer, and the true King. So let's jump to our first point, the true Passover. And verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. Now listen to that. Because we have, we're going to have a lot of ironies here. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. You see the irony here? The 
they don't they don't want to get inside of the, the Roman palace. And and that's so hilarious for us because what John wants us to see here is first, what is the Passover here? They they they, they want to eat. This is this was the, the most important Jewish feast that they used to celebrate. Celebrate what? Their freedom from slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses. You may remember in Sunday school class, the, the, the Hebrews people were, were commanded by God to put blood, the blood of a slaughtered lamb, upon uh, the doorposts of their house. And the Spirit of God was sent at that time to judge. But upon seeing this mark, the Spirit of the Lord, you'd pass over the firstborn in the Israelites' home. And the Spirit of the Lord, you'd only to strike the Egyptian firstborn. So it was the blood of that lamb, the Passover lamb, that prevented God's wrath, His judgment of being put out even upon the Israelites firstborn. Salvation was never by national citizenship. It's always by grace. Since the beginning. But the, the other question for us to understand the irony, what John wants to show here, is what's wrong with the Roman palace that the Jewish people, the, leader, uh, the, the Jewish leaders, uh, don't want to get inside? What's wrong with their, this place? Well, among many things they could believe, here's one of the most important things to understand. The Jews used to consider Gentiles' home to be ritual, unclean, defiled, contaminated, especially by the defilement of being in contact with dead bodies. Sounds strange, but that's the reality. So if the Jews get inside of the Roman palace or any other Gentile's home, they would be prevented, prohibited to participate in the Lord's Supper, sorry, the Passover, you see, I'm just bringing to our reality. But they would be prohibited to participate um, in the Passover meal, which was later that day. So, you may wonder now, well, dead bodies. Did the Gentiles have dead bodies spread throughout their house? No, that's not the case. But what the Jews believed was that the Gentile, listen to that, the Gentile did bury aborted babies in their homes. And, they, and the way they used to do that was by disposing the fetus in the drainage of system that you'd be underneath the rocks, beneath their house. So that's why the Jews she don't want to get inside of the Gentile's house. And here are two, two things we can learn. First, abortion is not an invention of our generation. And second, the first century people were not as civilized as we are today. We are very civilized when it comes to abortion. Because at that time, they didn't have a Roman tax play, play, payer found in Planned Parenthood as we have today. Abortion was not a business thing. So, here you see, they were not like us. 
But back to the Jewish leaders, here's the irony. In order to avoid such ritual uncleanness or being contaminated, defiled, in order to preserve their own self-righteousness before God, what they're doing? They were manipulating the law, the judicial law here. They were manipulating the judicial law as if they could justify the killing of an innocent man. And that's the, the word that Pilate's wife is going to call Jesus. He's an innocent man. So they were manipulating the judicial law as if they could justify the killing of an innocent man as the, as the Gentile could justify the killing of their innocent babies. In other words, here is where Gentiles, as Paul says in Romans 3, they were all together, living under, under the same depravity. No one is righteous before God. But here in our text, it seems that the Jews, what they were doing was even worse. Why I'm saying that? Because they were seeking cleansing, self-righteousness before God. But at the same time, they were plotting, scheming the destruction of His beloved Son, the Son of God. And the irony is, they were seeking self-righteousness, righteousness and cleansing, and they were killing the one, the only one who could cleanse them. The only one who take away the sin of the world, that John said in his gospel. You see, in their zeal of eating the Passover lamb, that meal, the Jewish leaders, they were unconsciously helping to fulfill the same efficacy of the Passover lamb. Yeah. They were doing that. They were unconsciously helping to fulfill the redemptive, scatological significance of the Passover meal, which was through Jesus' death. But at the same time, they were shutting themselves out of the same efficacy of this Passover meal. They will not get nothing out of it. This is the great example of emptiness, of the emptiness of any religion today that seeks to stand in righteousness before God without acknowledging the Son of God. You see, here is the Son of God, the true Passover. The Jews were blind. He's the one that made himself curse to redeem us from the curse of the law. But the Jewish people, Jewish leaders, they, they don't want to consider that. So here, a second point, the true redeemer. The true redeemer. And I want us to consider Jesus, John's point here, pointing to Jesus as the true redeemer in light of the, 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 the great truth, the saving truth. And here's the question for us to understand Jesus as the true redeemer. 
Verse 29. Can you see the question? Pilate is asking the Jews, What charge are you bringing against these men? What charge are you bringing against these men? I don't know about you, but for me it sounds as if God himself was asking this question. Can you notice that? What charge are you bringing against these men? And I believe God keeps asking this question today. I, this, this was a kind of question I heard before I became a believer. I didn't grow in a Christian family. I heard the gospel and I was fighting against it. But then I heard a question. Eric, what fault do you find in Jesus that causes you to resist him rather than trusting him? Rather than serve him? It's the same question. What charge do you bring against this man? I hope you can see that this question, what charge do you bring against this man, is very connected to the same question, to the similar question, verse 35. Pilate does a lot of good questions. What charge do you bring against this man? In verse 35, he, he made that question to Jesus. What have you done? Because, you know, you were evil one for those guys, your people. But what have you done? Oh, if I were Jesus, I would say, well, I have healed the sick. I have feed hunger. I have been compassionate for those who serve. That is what I'm doing since I started my ministry. You see... It's an irony here. Perversion of just right now here before our eyes. So the question, what charge you bring against this man? And the Jews don't want to answer this question. Even try. Instead, they want Pilate to trust in their judgment. Listen what they, they say to Pilate. Verse 30. If, the, if this man were not doing evil... We would not have delivered him over to you. So he's an iron again. The answer, verse 31, Pilate says to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. In other words, since you, smartest, doctor of the law, since you already judge what is truth about this man, why don't you carry on and kill him according to your law? Why don't you go on and stone him? And the answer is what? It's a lie. We can't, they reply. What a minute. You can't? L listen, when we read the scripture, we have three views in reading. The first one is what's going on. The second one is how does... The people, how does the people of the first century, the first one who got this letter was reading this? What did you understood? That's, that's the most important question you need to, to figure out when you were reading. And then for the preachers, they must make that first century reading relevant to, to the church today. But I want to stick with the first, uh, uh, first reading here because it's so rich right now here. Just get in mind here, a people reading this Bible now, this book, listen to the Jewish leader, we can kill him. Really? And they turn some pages, Acts, 
at seven. Well, wait a minute. You're gonna stone Steve. A few months later, you were saying that you can't. And why? They don't want to stone Jesus. What they really want, the Jewish leaders, is that Jesus could die by crucifixion. By crucifixion, not by stoning them, him. Why? Because they want to disprove Jesus' claim of being the Son of God. By dying on the cross, according to the Mosaic Law, it was not a sign of blessing. It was not a sign of God's approval for this person. It's a sign of curse. And that is what they want. They want by Jesus' crucifixion to show that this man was a cursed man. And they think they were in charge. But listen to verse 32. Who is in charge? This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Again, irony after irony. Matthew 26, verse 2. Jesus had already um, prophesied to his disciples about his death. Saying, as you know, the Passover is in two days. And the Son of Man, you'll be handed over to be crucified. You see, why the Jewish leadership think that they, they are acting only to fulfill their intents? Their action itself is unfolding according to Jesus' divine plan. Because Jesus had already said, no one take my life from me. I am the one who hand my life Jesus is in, is, is in complete control here. But here's another question. If Jesus is really the Son of God, not guilt, not sinner, why did God allow, allow him to be hanged hang on a tree and to be counted as a cursed man? Why? If he is really the saving truth. That's the same question that many people keep doing today. Muslims, especially. That was the question that a man did. That man used to persecute Christians. Kill. Because he believed that Jesus was a blasphemer. But one day, one day, in his way to arrest more Christians, he was interrupted by great light. And he heard the voice of Jesus Christ. The reason one. And that, that was the question that, that, that he heard. So, so, why are you persecuting me? In other words, so, what fault do you find in me that caused you to resist me, to trust in me, to serve me? At that day, he became one of the greatest servants of Jesus Christ. Because now he opened his mind for that possibility that in fact God sent his son to die as a cursed man. And later on, Paul is going to write these words Christ redeemed us, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. But the Jews don't, don't, want, don't want to consider this possibility. They don't want to see that it could be possible that God has sent his son to die as a cursed man for us. They don't want to consider this possibility. They just want to ignore it. And, and thus, 
become blinds. They become blind, deaf, to see, to hear the saving truth before their eyes, before their ears. And now the Jews just expect Pilate to confirm their judgment because they are expert in the law. They just expect Pilate to um, send the order to put death, to put Jesus to death by crucifixion. Perhaps it is at that time that Pilate was already to take this action that then his wife sent someone with a message for him. And Matthew who reports these, these events. Matthew 27 verse 19 says, While Pilate was still sit, sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. He got a dream about Jesus. Innocent man. Other version says righteous man. Pilate now wants to inquire what is truth about Jesus' kingship. Verse 33. And we turn to our final points. Jesus, the true king. Verse 33 says, So Pilate entered in his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now see verse 34. See how Jesus transforms the Roman palace into his divine courtroom. See Jesus' answer. Pilate made the question, and Jesus answering with another question. Verse 34. Do you say this of your own accord, or did the other say this to you about me? You see what's going on here? Jesus is shifting place with Pilate. Jesus now, you see, it was Jesus' trial. Now became Pilate's trial. Jesus now is sitting on the judge's seat while Pilate now is being interrogated on his faith, on his assumptions, beliefs. As one writer says, and he's a difficult English word, Jesus invariably, it's a difficult word, Jesus invariably question his questioners so that the questioner you'd be forced to open up within his own assumptions. Rab Zachariah. Verse 34. Verse 34 can be said as, Are you asking me if I'm a king of the Jews because you heard or because you believe? But unfortunately, Pilate had no conviction of his own. He doesn't have any conviction to fall back on at the most important trial of his life. Pilate could not even think for himself. And I believe that the world is full of people like Pilate. 
And I believe that we are under the risk as well to have pilots in our church. And I believe that that question is even more important for my kids than for myself. Because I didn't born in a Christian family. I had to have my own conviction. And when I had, I was chased, I was put off, put out from my sister's house. I was living with her. Now, now you're a Christian, go out. I don't want you here anymore. So I hope you understand that question a lot of your own kids. They have to have their own conviction. They have to have their own faith. That's God's desire for you kids. But, back to Pilate's question to Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' answer seems to be twofold here. If Pilate's question was regarding a political kingdom, the answer is no. Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Notice here, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over the Jew, Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. You see, neither Jesus is from this world, neither his kingdom. Indeed, Jesus had already rebuked Peter, who wanted to rely on his word when he cut off one of the soldiers' ears. But Jesus proved that his saving kingship does not operate in the same way that the kingdoms of this earth so Jesus' first answer is no. But then, Pilate asks again, and now he affirms. You see, Jesus gave a negative answer, and now Pilate says, Oh, you are king then. I don't know if you noticed that. Verse 37. See how Jesus goes on now to define his kingship positively now. You say I'm a king, for this purpose I was born. Listen to that. You say that I'm a king? Yes, I am. And it was for being a king that I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. Can you see what Jesus is saying here now? Jesus is referring to his incarnation. I was born. Just as my kingdom was not of this world, neither I, I was born. Jesus is talking about his incarnation. When he's, he moves from the glory, he was sharing with the Father. And that's what John understood in his first verses. John 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of man, and this light shined the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This word here is, were not, is not a report that John heard from someone. This is John's own convictions about Jesus. His divine mission, identity. And then verse 14. The word became flesh and made his Dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one 
and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if, it's, if these words are not a report, where, where John got these words? He got from Jesus. He got from Jesus prior here. Back to verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, Yes, you say I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world. To do what? Why you came here if this not, is not your world? To bear witness to the truth. Now listen, as we are going to finish, I want you to see that in this context, again, truth is not a philosophical, abstract idea. Truth here is understood nothing less than the safe self-disclose of the Son of God. The self-disclose of God's redemptive plan in flesh, in Jesus, in His body. That is the saving truth. So, in disclosing the truth of God, His salvation, judgment, Jesus was making a kingdom citizen by disclosing this truth in himself. So Jesus proved in coming to the world to serve, to serve God as God's agents of redemption. So the truth that we are talking about here testifies God's faithfulness with his redemptive plan. That's the truth. So no wonder Jesus goes on and affirms Everyone on the side of truth, listen to me. Then Pilate asked the single most important question in human history. And I think that question gets at the heart of the meaning of life. What is truth? And Pilate walks away from it. You see that? Pilate walks away with that feeling of that psychiatrist. That now having the truth, facing the truth by himself, he walks away. As someone said, he walks away from the greatest authority to answer the greatest question. And he committed the greatest crime in history. So remember today the question as you go home. Remember the question that Pilate made for Jesus. What have you done? What have you done? And I'm wondering, after Jesus being raised from the dead, if Pilate made that question again, now to himself, what have I done with the truth? He heard about Jesus. And that's the question I want to close today. What have you done with the truth? May God of the truth give you grace to believe and to walk in the saving truth of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the saving truth you disclosed through your Son who became flesh, who, take, who took our place in the cross as the Passover lamb, who came to redeem us from the curse of the law, 
Thank you, O Lord. Help us to understand this truth. We pray for our kids today that they may have their own conviction in that truth, in this saving truth. Oh Lord, we pray that they walk with you. We pray that this word may be applied by your spirit into their hearts and our hearts as well. And as we await for the great redemption, your second come, help us to walk in the saving truth, oh Lord. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, the one who taught us to pray. that we have of the preciousness of Jesus Christ is in this life imperfect at best. It is but a taste. We have tasted that the Lord is good, but we do not yet fully know how good and how gracious He really is. But what we do know of Him and His sweetness makes us long for more. In this life we enjoy the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, and they set in us a hungering and a thirsting for the fullness of the heavenly vintage. Here we are like the Israelites in the wilderness. We have but a sampling of the fruit of the promised land, while we wait and yearn for the full vineyard. This meal and the wisdom and the grace of our Lord Jesus was given to us to serve as a reminder, a reminder of our present reality and of what awaits us. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, has given himself for us. He has given himself to us. In dying upon the cross and shedding his blood, he not only atoned for all of our sins, he also made us heirs. We have a glorious inheritance. Our citizenship in his eternal heavenly kingdom has been sealed. It is guaranteed. Now we have but a taste of this promise. Now we have but a faint, faint vision of our heavenly home. But soon we will see and partake fully. Soon we will be rid of all of our trials and troubles. And we will gaze upon the splendor of him who sits on the throne. In the triumph of his glory, we will share. His crown, his joy, his paradise will also be ours. We have been made co-heirs with him, who in his sacrifice became the heir of all things. So come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Christ's body, broken for us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.